Okay, brothers and sisters, let's take out our Bibles together. If you will, turn with me today to the book of Luke, chapter 14. Luke, chapter 14, where we'll spend our time, starting in verse 25 here in just a moment. Luke 14, verse 25. For the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at two sides of a coin, so to speak. And so the sermon today and the sermon next week go together. And I would encourage you uh, to make an effort, even if you are not here, for one or the other to listen to both, because listening to only one could leave you uh, feeling like you're only looking at one side of the coin. Uh, This week, we're, we're talking about the devotion that Christ demands. The devotion that Christ demands this week. Next week, we'll be talking about the rest that Christ gives Now, some need to hear one more than the other, right? I think every single one of us probably need to hear one more than the other. The devotion that Christ demands, the rest that God, or that Christ gives. This week we're talking about the cost of following Jesus. What does it take to follow Christ? Next week we're going to be talking about the great compassion of our Lord. The great compassion of our brother, our friend, Jesus Christ. We all, I think, need to hear one more than the other, but we all also need to hear both. Someone once told me the impossible task of preaching is that you can't let non-Christians sit in the pews and confidently think they are saved, and at the same time, you can't preach in such a way that genuine believers doubt their salvation. And so that's the line that we're trying to walk over these next two weeks, And so this week, the devotion that Christ demands, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, first, I think we need to ask this question. What benefit is there in following Jesus? What benefit is there in following Jesus? Let's think about that for a second. There are many. If you follow Christ, you will receive forgiveness of all of your sins. Forgiveness of all of our sins. You will receive the freedom from the bondage to sin. Not just forgiveness of them, but freedom from the bondage. A power to overcome sin. If you follow Jesus, you will have peace with God. Peace with the almighty, holy, and righteous God of the universe. You will be made right with Him. You will have favor from Him. If you follow Jesus, you will have satisfaction for your heart. True happiness. If you follow Jesus, you will have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the ultimate God, the ultimate helper. And if you follow Jesus and hold on to Him for your entire life, you will have eternal life with Him in paradise. The reason I say this up front is because the cost of following Jesus is worth it every time. We're going to talk about the cost of following Jesus today, but it's worth it every time. But there is a cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. There are so, so many people today who believe that they have the benefits that I just spoke of when in fact they do not. Hear me on this. This is is absolutely, eternally serious There are many people today who believe that they have the benefits that we just talked about when they do not. 
In Matthew 7, we find what I believe to be the scariest part of the entire Bible. The scariest passage in the entire Bible. Where Jesus speaks of what it will be like on Judgment Day. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. For there will be many on that day who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? And Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, why do I think that's the scariest part of the whole Bible? It's because there will be people on Judgment Day who meet the Lord and are ready to enter into heaven and are confident that the doors of heaven are about to be opened to them. They are fully confident that they are about to enter into heaven and Jesus will shut them out. And it will be a surprise to them and there will be no more second chance. They will be shut out forever after just a moment previous being completely confident they were about to enter into heaven, eternity in hell. I think that's the scariest part of all of the Bible. I don't want any of us in here to experience that. There will be those in the end like that. There will be those in the end who say, but I was a good person. I went to church. I voted for traditional family values. I was baptized when I was young. I served at the church. I went on a mission trip. There will be those who say such things and yet do not enter into eternal life. Let's look at our text this morning. Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 25. We're going to read down to verse 33. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice just a few things from our text this morning. The first comes in the very first phrase, verse 25. Did you notice how great crowds accompanied him? Great crowds. I want you to notice how great crowds followed Jesus, but many of them were not following Jesus. Many in the crowd followed him around, but they were not disciples. And so it is today. 
For some, Jesus is a nice addition to your already nice life. Church attendance is what our family does on Sundays. Going to church is just what good people do. We pray before meals. We pray if an emergency happens. But other than that, Jesus doesn't really make a difference in our everyday lives. When we meet someone who says they're a Christian, we respect that. That must mean they are a good person. There is this thing in the Bible belt here in America that we call cultural Christianity. It is not real Christianity. It is cultural Christianity. It is, you might say, nominal Christianity. Christianity in name only. It's checking a box. That's what I am. That's what my family is. But it is not discipleship. In places like Colombia, like where we live, being a Christian still gets you some respect in the community. And so, there are people who call themselves Christians, while they are not. In many places today, this is no longer the case. In many more progressive cities in America and around the world, being a Christian doesn't get you anything culturally. And so, what's the point? You don't find many cultural Christians in places like Seattle. New York City, and I'll tell you this much, there are no cultural Christians today in Afghanistan. But in the Bible Belt, there are many. There are all kinds of people sitting in the pews each week on Sunday who give lip service to Jesus but are not disciples. And so my question today is, what about you? What about you? Jesus did not sugarcoat things when he talked about what it takes to follow him. He never sugarcoated it. He spoke hard words, and many times his hard words turned people away. It turned people away. Because Jesus knew that if I give them an easy believism, if I give them a picture of following me that is not what it really is, then that quote-unquote faith won't last it through the hard seasons. It won't make it through the hard seasons. They'll experience a hard season of life where their faith is actually challenged and they'll just walk away. And Jesus said, if I love people, if I care about people, I can't give them that kind of picture of what it means to follow me. If your faith is nothing but a family tradition, it will not endure the hard seasons. If your faith is nothing but a means to get you respect in the community, it will not endure the hard seasons. If your faith is little more than church attendance and praying before meals, it will not endure the hard seasons. Because what happens when we're forced to choose? We might never have experienced this living in a place like Columbia, Kentucky, our whole lives, some of us. But what happens when you're forced to choose? What happens when following Christ means losing a job? What happens when following Christ means alienating family members? What happens when following Christ means possibly getting arrested? Could your faith survive what's going on in Afghanistan right now? If you were there, would you live out your faith as a Christian openly? Knowing that if you did, it might cost you your very life? Our brothers and sisters in that part of the world are following Christ at the risk of death, are meeting together to worship Christ on a Sunday morning at the risk of death. Meanwhile, here in America, people give up on their faith if someone at church hurts their feelings. 
Notice what Jesus said about what it takes to follow him. Let's look at verse 26 first. And one of the most shocking things Jesus has ever said. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So wait a second. I'm supposed to hate my family to follow Jesus. If I want to follow Jesus, I have to hate my family. How are we supposed to understand this? Because think about the other things that we read in the Bible. I mean, does not the Bible tell us that we are to love others as we love ourselves? Does not the Bible itself tell us in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother? Does it not say in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church? Does not Jesus himself tell us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? The Bible never contradicts itself. And Jesus never contradicts himself. This is the word of God. And Jesus is the son of God. Right? They never make mistakes in anything that they say or do. And so how are we supposed to understand this? Hate my family? It helps to understand that Jesus is intentionally exaggerating here. He's using a figure of speech. He's using what we might call hyperbole. He's intentionally exaggerating here to shock his hearers into waking up and facing up to his words, to thinking deeply about his words. Sometimes if you use a figure of speech, it causes people to perk up in a way they wouldn't otherwise perk up, right? It causes people to to really address what you're saying and reckon with it. That's what Jesus is doing. We do this all the time. We use figures of speech where we don't literally mean what, we, what, what the words coming out of our mouth sound like. And everybody kind of understands if you're in a, a situation where people have a common language and a common culture. Well, that's what Jesus is doing. He's using a figure of speech. And what he's really saying is this. Your devotion to me must be so much greater than to anyone else. There should be a huge gap between your devotion to Christ and your most important worldly relationships. Such a huge gap between your devotion to Christ and your devotion to the next most important person in your life, there should be such a huge gap that that figure of speech, that hyperbole makes sense. There should be such a huge gap between my devotion to Jesus and my most important worldly relationships. Now, why would he say this? Why would Jesus say something like this? Well, one of the reasons is because family can easily become an idol to us. Our family can become an idol. In fact, family is one of the most common idols. Why? Because family is one of the best things there is. It's one of the most good things there is in this life. Our family, right? You should care about your family. You should provide for your family. You should selflessly love your family. But because family is such a good thing, then it is one of the most common things that's turned into an ultimate thing that replaces God on the throne of our hearts. Family is the one of the most common idols today in the world because it's such a good thing. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. Think about this. How many people, if they had to choose between Jesus and their family, would say, well, Jesus is just going to have to go. We say Jesus is the most important thing in our lives, but when the rubber meets the road, do we mean that? Matthew 10, verse 37 says this. This is also the words of Jesus. 
Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so, believe it or not, one of the most romantic things I can ever say to my wife is, Honey, you're my number two. You will always be number two. And rightfully so. Because if I make her number one, I put her in a place that she cannot live up to. If I make her number one, I put an expectation on her that she can never fulfill. And I will ruin our relationship if I put her number one. Same with my kids, same with my mom and dad, same with anybody in our family. This is what Jesus means when he says you must hate your family. If you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. He's using an exaggerated figure of speech to say your devotion to me must be so much greater than them that this kind of saying makes sense, right? Jesus has to sit on the throne of our hearts. Now, perhaps the hardest part of it all is what he says at the end of verse 26. Look back there with me one more time where he says, yes, you must even hate your own life. If you don't hate yourself, you can't be a disciple. Hate yourself. Who hates himself? I've known people who it seems like they hate their family, but they definitely don't hate themselves. Who hates themselves? Again, what Jesus means is you must live for him and not for yourself. If ever there was a more common idol than family, it is the idol of self. How many of us come to church on Sundays, but then the entire week all we're doing is living for ourselves? Let's let's do the dangerous work this morning of straight up asking ourselves this question. This is dangerous. It's real easy to just let this go in one ear and out the other and move on. Just go back to whatever you were going back to in your life. How many of us come to church on Sundays and then the rest of the week we just live for ourselves? Each decision is about what's going to make me happy or what's going to make my family happy. How I pursue making money, how I pursue spending it, how I spend my time, what makes it on the schedule. It's all about me and my own happiness. The idol of self. What is sitting on the throne of your heart? If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus says your life can no longer be your life. If you want to follow Jesus, your life can't be your life. It has to be His. You have to live it for Him and not for yourself. He must sit on the throne of your heart. Because rest assured, something will sit there. You will worship something. Everyone worships doesn't matter if you're a Christian or an atheist. Everyone worships something. God created every single one of us with a throne right here, and something will sit on it. Whether it's yourself, whether it's your family, whether it's your job, whether it's money, whether it's comfort, whether it's popularity, whether it's fill-in-the-blank. Something will sit on the throne of your heart. Or as Bob Dylan once said, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. Something, someone will sit on the throne of our hearts. Everyone worships. The only question is, what? God made us this way. And what God is trying to tell us in his word is that anything other than Jesus sits on that throne of your heart, you're going to just mess it up. 
Your life is a mess anytime anything other than Jesus is on the throne of your heart. Don't believe me? Just look back into your own life. Just think about it. Every one of us can attest to this. Every one of us can testify to this. When God is not on the throne of my heart, my life becomes a mess. It's true for me. It's true for everybody. Look at verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus says something that would have been just as shocking in that day. Today, we tend to just gloss over it. But in that day, it would have been absolutely shocking. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, what does that mean? Well, on this side of Jesus' death, we understand the cross, right? We under, we've talked about the cross so long and so many times in church and reading our Bibles. We understand the cross. But do you notice? I didn't notice this until just this past week. I mean, I've never noticed this staring at this text. I've read the Bible my whole life, never noticed. Jesus said this before he went to the cross. He said this to people before he went to the cross. So they weren't thinking about his death. They have have no idea the way he's going to die. So what are they thinking about? What does that mean to them? Because he said it before he was crucified. Well, in that day, as we know, the primary method the Romans used to execute criminals was what? Crucifixion, right? Crucifixion was a horrible way to die, but it was a very effective way for the Roman government to tell other people, beware lest this also happen to you. The entire ordeal was meant to warn other people, this is what happens to criminals, don't go down this path. And it wasn't just the public nature of a man hanging on the cross. Can you imagine? People were, were hung on these crosses in public for anyone, no matter what age, to see it, to see them suffer. But they had to carry their cross from the place where they were condemned to the place where they would be killed. They had to carry their own cross. We remember Jesus doing this, and Jesus collapsed under the weight of it because before he even got to that point, they beat him within an inch of his life. But the criminal had to carry his own cross through the streets. It was like the Roman government was parading them in an embarrassment through the streets, saying to anyone who was willing to watch, see, this is what happens. Don't do this, right? We're going to scare you into not doing the same thing. And so what Jesus is saying here, when he says that you have to bear your own cross if you want to follow him, what he's saying is, you've got to voluntarily march to your own death if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow me, you've got to march to your own death, voluntarily. And so think about this. If you want to walk down this aisle later today and get baptized and give your life to Jesus... Know that you are marching to your own death. That's what you're doing. You're taking the long walk to your own execution. It's a death to self. We're buried, the Bible says, in baptism. And we are raised out of that water to newness of life, to a new creation. Because you die to yourself when you do this. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to die. Die to yourself. You have to say, my life is no longer my life. Earlier in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For 
Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The beautiful irony about the kingdom of God is that if you want to save your life in the end, you've got to lose it right now. And if you save it for yourself right now, you will lose it in the end. It's the wonderful, beautiful irony of the kingdom of God. To save your life, you have to give it up. To save your life, you have to die to it. To save your life, you have to lose it to Jesus. And so everything here is predicated on the idea that if you're going to come to Christ, you have to count the cost. Jesus is saying, count the cost if you want to come to me. If you want to follow me, count the cost. Look at verses 28 through 31, or 32 really, where he introduces two illustrations. Jesus gives his own illustrations here. Verse 28, he says, If any of you desires to build a tower, do you not sit down first and count the cost? Whether you have enough to complete it? Because if you don't, and you're not able to finish, all who begin to see it will mock you. Or, second example, what if a king's going out to war? Would he not first sit down and think, can I win this war with the troops that I have versus the troops that are coming against me? And so Jesus is saying, before you make a decision to follow him, think it through. Think it through. Do you have a realistic picture of what it will take? Have you considered what you must give up? Have you considered that your life must change if you want to follow him? Have you considered that this will not be easy? That this will be uncomfortable in some ways? That this will be a challenge, not only to you personally, but to your relationships and family and community? You see, Jesus did not try to make the gospel easier for people to swallow. He didn't sugarcoat things. He did not walk on eggshells so as not to offend anyone or turn anyone away. Jesus never offered multiple options. Well, if if following me this way isn't your cup of tea, try this other way. We have all kinds of options to meet the preferences of all kinds of religious consumers. If the narrow way is too rough for you, try this middle road. It's a lot more comfortable. Jesus never said things like this. In fact, Jesus often spoke intentionally in ways that caused people to walk away. In John chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000, Jesus starts drawing big crowds and realizes some of these people in the crowd are here because they had their bellies filled. They want it to happen again. Others in this crowd are here because they saw a miracle. And it's like following a magician. They just want to have their their eyes tickled, their senses tickled. They, They want to see something fascinating once again. And so Jesus started saying hard words in John 6. You can read this. And it says many from that point walked away and stopped following him. When Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, if you remember that conversation, he exposed the young man's idol. The young man loved riches more than God. And Jesus put him to the decision right then and there. And the man walked away and did not follow If you notice in that story, Jesus did not chase after him pleading, oh, please stay, just just hang around to to maybe we can make this a little bit easier for you. Maybe, Maybe after a while you'll get it. Jesus never did that. He drew a line in the sand and said, this is what it takes. 
He loved people so much that he refused to give them an easier picture of following him than what it actually is. Because Jesus, like all of us should feel, did not want people to see him on judgment day and then to confidently think they were about to enter into the gates of heaven and yet be shut out. Being a Christian costs something. But, on the other hand, it doesn't cost anything. Being a Christian will cost you nothing, on the one hand, and will cost you everything, on the other. On the one hand, the grace of God is absolutely free. It's absolutely free. You can't pay money to become a Christian. You can't even pay with your good works. You can't buy God. It's a completely free gift, the grace of God. You can't purchase it or earn it. It costs nothing. And yet, yet... To be a genuine Christian, a disciple of Jesus, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Look at verse 33. Verse 33, Jesus sums it all up. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Did you notice how many times Jesus says this kind of person cannot be my disciple? Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You must renounce your claim on everything you have if you want to follow Jesus. You must let it all go. All I have is God's. He can do whatever he wants with anything that I have. I am just a steward taking care of his things. And Jesus says, if you don't do this, you cannot be his disciple. What we have been describing today is not only for a select group of radical Christians, and then there's the rest of us normal Christians who say, we don't take it that far. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is the minimum. Jesus is saying, if you are not devoted in this way, you are not a disciple. There are disciples And then there are non-Christians. There's no in-between. There are disciples and there are non-Christians. There's the wide road that leads to destruction and there's the narrow road that leads to life and there's no middle road. There's no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. There will be a lot of surprised people at Judgment Day. Didn't I attend church my whole life? I was a good person. Now ask yourself, does Jesus have your heart? Do you live for Jesus or for yourself? When you became a Christian, did you just sign up for a get out of hell free card? And then I go back to living my life the way I was? Is your Christianity essentially church attendance, praying before meals and not saying cuss words? If so you need to be concerned about where you will spend eternity. If the hardest thing that you have to do for Jesus is get up early on Sunday, you need to be concerned about where you will spend eternity. Some of us here need to take a really hard look at our own lives and say, am I actually following Jesus? And then, am I actually saved? 
Some of us in here have believed for a long time that we were saved. When in reality, you need to be born again for the first time. Do you have the courage to look into your own heart and ask yourself that dangerous question this morning? Have I believed this whole time that I was saved and I'm perhaps not? I can't say that I care about your souls if I don't confront you with this. Jesus confronts us with this because He cares about our souls. He cares about what will happen on Judgment Day. Do we need to be saved for the first time? Some of us. When we've been thinking this whole time that that everything was fine. When Jesus said... You must bear your own cross. When Jesus said, take up your cross daily, He ended up doing exactly what He was talking about. Jesus bore His own cross. Jesus said those things before He went to the cross. Do you think that later, when people saw Him carrying His cross, do you think that later, some who heard that statement thought back on it and said, He's doing exactly what he, what he called us to do. He's carrying His cross out to His own crucifixion, to His own execution. Do you think that they remembered that? Whoever does not bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not calling you to do anything He wasn't willing to do Himself. Jesus renounced all that He had. He renounced all that he had for God, including his very body and his breath. He renounced it. He carried his own cross and then he was killed on it. And he's asking you to do the same. Carry your own cross and die on it to follow Jesus. If you do, you will gain everything. We're going to spend just a few moments in prayer right now. Silent prayer, each individual one of us responding to the Lord, to what He just put on our hearts. God just spoke to you, what do you need to speak to God? We're going to give a few moments of silent prayer so that we can all respond to God's Word, to God's message. After silent prayer, we'll have a time where we come back together, we'll have an invitation song where those who need to respond publicly to God's message can do so. Right now, each and every one of us needs to go to the Lord and respond privately to what He just put on our hearts. So let's pray together.